Welcome to California Groundbreakers, a place that sets trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. Listen in so you can know and better understand what's happening here in California. Find out how you can help and get involved and get inspired to break your own ground. Our second talk is with a couple of empire builders in Sacramento's restaurant scene. Chris Jaroche of Broderick Roadhouse and Garrett Van Vleck, a partner with the Shady Lady Crew. Neither of them are top chefs or award-winning bartenders, but they know how to build a brand and to turn a concept into drinking and dining hotspots. Between the two of them, they are responsible for owning or helping to build at least a dozen dining establishments in the Sacramento area. And they're not done yet. So welcome to California Groundbreakers. My name is Vanessa Richardson. I'm the executive director of this nonprofit organization. We've held about 14 events in the past year since we started in June 2016. This is the second event of a series that we're calling Food for Thought. And that's a series of events that focuses on basically food, drink, ag, farming, all the innovative stuff that's going on here in Sacramento. Northern California and around California. So we had one at the beginning of the month with Andrea Lepore from Hot Italian and Gina, Gina and Ian Cavuccian from South because they were doing some groundbreaking stuff in terms of branching out of the standard business uh, and starting new things. And this one we're doing with Chris Jarosh, excuse me, I'm gonna get that right, and Garrett Van Black because I, I, we're calling them the Empire Builders, which I think is other people have. Uh, have mentioned. They're basically opening up different types of restaurants and, and shaping uh, Sacramento's food scene and bar scene. So I just want to say some special thanks to a few people here. Um, obviously, Clara, we're in the auditorium at Clara's uh, Center for Performing Arts. It's been very generous with their time and um, availability. So thanks to Megan Weigand. Also, the advisory board members who are here tonight, Jonna Phillips, um, Scott Egger and Rachel Smith in particular get a special thank you. They helped me promote this event uh, hard, so I appreciate their efforts. I also have to thank my mom, who's out there pouring wine. Um, I don't know if many of you have started or run a nonprofit. Concerned parents are always an issue you have to deal with about whether you're gonna make it work, but my mom is showing her support. Uh, so I thank you, mom. Uh, of course, special, special thanks to Garrett and Chris. They donated the food, they donated the cocktails, um, they're obviously here tonight. And um, J.E. Pano, I also want to give a special thanks. He has Roostaller. He's been here from the beginning. He always brings the beer. So thank you all for food and drinks. And I want to encourage you all to eat up because Sierra told me that whatever's left over, I have to take home. And I don't have room. <laughs> and of course, thank you for coming, showing up in 105, 6 degree heat. It's going to be a really good discussion, I know. And um, spread the word for the future food of future Food for Thought events. We're gonna have one once a month. The next one actually is on beer. I should also mention that next week we have an event at Beatnik Studios. You probably know many of you that uh, the windows on wide open w walls panel, wide open walls art mural festival starts on August 10th. We're having a panel the night before at Beatnik that features uh, the organizer of that, um, a couple of the artists, the city of Sacramento, who's really uh, gung-ho on this. So we're gonna take a look at the impact of street art, public art in Sacramento, what it means, what it should mean. 
So there's obviously a lot of interest in that, and um, I'm going to promote more of that online next, starting tomorrow, and it's next Wednesday, by the way. This format, we're going to do a 90-minute discussion, 40, 45 to 60 minutes of me asking you questions. I'm going to gauge your interest. There's a mic in the middle of the room. I'll let you know when um, we're ready to come up and ask questions, um, and we'll get started. I don't introduce the panelists. I always let them introduce themselves because you know each other. You know yourself so well, and I'm sure you know each other well. But I wanted to ask you, obviously, your name, your current role, I guess, and what places you currently own or run. And um, for a personal note, I actually was curious. I'm looking for suggestions for where to eat and drink around town that I don't already know about. I figured you guys might know some spots that I don't know or many of you. So when you're not eating or drinking at your places, where do you actually venture out to eat or drink? So what are some suggestions? So let's start with the gentleman on my left. <laughs> In the black t-shirt. I'm, uh, I'm Garrett Von Fleck. I'm an exotic dancer. <laughs> Maybe not. Hi, my name is Chris Yarosh. Uh, I uh, have uh, Broderick Roadhouse here in town and uh, a couple of Roderick Roadhouses now. Uh, opening up a restaurant called The Patriot in Carmichael, uh, hopefully next week, um, depending on our lovely building inspectors here in Sacramento. And uh, uh, have a project in the Capitol called The State House. Uh, right now it's just a grab and go coffee place, but it'll be a full service restaurant here um, in a couple of months uh, in a small coffee shop. And uh, I think that's it. What else was it? Was it where I guess I, like I should. Eat? Didn't you just open a restaurant a couple of days ago or a few days ago? We opened up a restaurant at uh, Broderick and Roseville uh, on Thursday of last week. So venturing out into the suburbs. And when you don't eat at your place, where, do you, where can you be bothered to go and spend your money on food or drink? Where's the favorite place? Do you want me to be honest? Yes. Because I could lie. Um, no. <laughs> I've, lately, because I've been all over the place, uh, I'd say the most often is Chick-fil-A, which is probably <laughs> not, not what you guys want to hear right now. Um, what do you order? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it, as you can tell, I've been trying to work on this old belly fat thing, but uh, uh, the, most recently, uh, my, my go-to is the uh, spiky, spicy chicken sandwich, no lettuce or tomato because it's not farm to fork, right? So you can't eat that. Um, add bacon, and then, you know, obviously with fries and a Diet Coke, and then uh, it's usually slide in a four-piece chicken strip. So, um, but I mean, I, you know, Sacramento's, Sacramento's got a great, great restaurant scene. Um, uh, it's funny, seven or eight years ago, if you came to Sacramento, you wouldn't know where to go, and now it's really hard to even get around and, and try the new places. So, I mean, I've, I spend time at Garrett's spots. Um, I, you know, I love going to uh, the selling spots, both uh, uh, the new one, uh, Oboe, and uh, Selins, and uh, just, just everywhere. I just left Pizza Urbano on the way here. So, 495, I was just telling Garrett, how do they do this? 495. A, a totally loaded slice of giant pizza and a, and a soda. I was like, it's crazy. So I, I got the receipt. I swear. <laughs> so so that's a, that's where I'm at. Yeah. And I should mention that this is uh, the next guest. This is his first time with a microphone. First time ever with a microphone. First time ever with a microphone. So let's see what he has to say. <laughs> so Garrett Van Vleck, uh, 
I'm the owner of Shady Lady, and then in the past several years, we've done uh, been partners in Lowbrow, Block, uh, B-Sides, Sail In, uh, Amaro, and Brewsters out in Galt. That was interesting. Um, so uh, my role mostly is just kind of moving around to the different places now and, and just kind of making sure everything's going okay and making sure everything's moving forward. And um, yeah, uh, every place kind of has their different thing. Every place has different ownership management, but you know, I've kind of just taken a role of moving around and, and making sure everybody's kind of doing what they need to be doing at any given time. Uh, and I guess if I'm eating out, if I'm going low end, uh, I love Jim Boy's tacos. Uh, that's kind of <laughs> always my go-to if I just want something quick or if I want to go out and have a night. Uh, crew is always one of my go-tos. Crew is amazing. I think it's one of the best restaurants we have in the city and uh, it's always really impressive. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start right out with your backstories, and I should mention that um, I think one of the main reasons, well, the reason that really propelled me to start this food for thought series was back in end of March, early April, I picked up an issue of Sacramento News and Review, and there was this guy on the cover, Chris Jarosh, uh, and a really really good in depth profile of him and his background and how he got started, and I thought, wow, what a really good story. That's just so interesting, and I'm sure there's a lot more that you know you couldn't fit into the article that um, I wanted to ask about personally. So that was what really prompted me to say, you know, that's a, such a good story. There's all these good stories about how restaurants got started, how people got their start in the business, um, and I'm sure others would like to hear. So I'll just chalk it up to um, the writer Ari Graswich for doing that story and and prompting it. And what really, I mean, if you haven't read it, you should, because even though you know. We'll skim the details here. It's really, it's really good. But I thought it was really interesting. There's one paragraph to me that kind of sums it up here. You know, this guy is the guru of Sacramento restaurants, but, quote, it's a story of self-creation. Eight years ago, he knew practically nothing about the food service industry. His kitchen experience was minimal. He had no money or business plan, but he was eager to learn, desperate and willing to gamble everything on a shop-worn food truck he found on Craigslist, which I guess driving the food truck is an interesting story in itself. And then telling a story, he repeats one sentence again and again like a mantra, I didn't know what I was doing. But here you are, you started with Wicked Witch, and then you have how many restaurants now? A lot. We'll go into detail about them. But I just wanted to ask, you know, obviously your life, there's a lot of ups and downs. Um, drifter, self-creative, creation, there's all these adjectives that describe you. So I just wanted to get like a summary about the main events, your timeline, the main events and the actions that led you first here to Sacramento. And then also what made you decide to get into the food business? You know, what made you decide to go down and buy that ratty old food truck and drive it back up? So, you know, just that, br I know, kind of brief summary, but what, what are the notable highlights in your life that made you get to where you are right now today? Um, you know, first of all, there was, uh, although that, you know, I, I feel like there's some good and bad in that article that came out in, in SNR. There, there were definitely some, some very uh, brutally honest pieces, and then there were some, some pieces that were a little exaggerated and, and you know, maybe, maybe a little fact-checking first would have worked, but... Uh, <laughs> There, there's some references to some some jail time that never happened. But uh, uh, when I when I <laughs> there was this 14 days in jail thing that had never actually happened. So it was kind of like 
And I went back to them. And I'm like, and they're like, they wanted all this proof. And and then when I started to provide it, one of my friends said, the more you the more you kick the beehive with the with the media, the more that they try to go back and find something else to to kind of to make it juicy. So I just kind of said, what the heck? I'll let it I'll let it roll. But so now I feel kind of like a real tough guy because I have tattoos and I'm in j- jail time. Um, but uh, uh, you know. Uh, I kind of came, uh, I, I was born in Massachusetts, and uh, um, you know, my father, you know, lost my father at a very young age, and you know, my mother was a single mom, she had a couple kids, didn't know how to take care, didn't really need to take care of us, she made some choices that she felt was best for us at the time, and uh, you know, uh, remarried, and uh, we moved across, you know, the East Coast to Pittsburgh, and uh, it was kind of a tumultuous childhood uh, growing up, so uh, I, I think that a lot of my creativity came from living in my own little my own little fantasy world while I was a while I was you know growing up, and uh, I had a few opportunities at a, at a younger age um, to kind of overcome some of those some of those obstacles. Um, I, I was a pretty uh, pretty competitive soccer player through high school and had got Division one uh, Division one uh, scholarship offers to a lot of schools. And right through in the beginning of my first year, I was in a car accident and broke my leg. Um, the metal shaft went through my leg. I was literally legally dead. I was lifelighted and and revived. And and they basically said you're never really gonna to be able to run again. So how old were you when uh, this happened? I was 20. So um, so that kind of was the end of my soccer career. So at that point, I kind of that you know going through high school, I never really. Uh, I, I thought that that was my my ticket, so I didn't. I w- the academic piece was not really front of mind for me, and I was, you know, I grew up in a really kind of crazy household, so I spent more time suspended and in trouble than you know. I would live in one of those places where, you know, the the I, w- I would say the area I lived in was probably the most chauvinistic, homophobic, racist, terrible part of the country, you know, um, and it, which still exists, and, and that's what's crazy for us in California to not know that there's still places like that. So um, after the soccer thing didn't work out, I kind of became a drifter for uh, probably about 10, 10, 15 years, and I traveled to all different parts of the country and was in and out of either construction and and, some, and, and, and spent some time in the hospitality business, but most mostly uh, on the bar side, you know, bartending or whatever else I spent. You know, I lived in New York City and Boston, and Key West, and Denver and San Antonio. I was in the, I, I when I when I uh, when the soccer didn't work out, I didn't I didn't have. I, I thought I was gonna pay for college, so I joined the Marine Reserves um, and ended up in active duty Marines for a while and uh, uh, never ended up going back to college. But um, but anyway, the, the the hospitality industry was always kind of the the one thing that was. Um, was you know you can make good money and uh, no matter where you went um, there was always a position so that that was kind of my go-to thing and through I did a, a ton of stuff over the through my 20s and 30s uh, but uh, I always just had a passion for this business I was I mean and obviously as a fat guy I really I liked food so um, that that became a hobby of mine is is really to be a home cook you know so um, uh, I moved to Sacramento through a lot of weird twists and turns, I moved to California, um, but it was because I was open. I was working for somebody in the nightclub business, and I was helping them open up nightclubs. And 
uh, met some people here. Uh, I was actually living in LA at the time. Some people from here that I met prior said, hey, I have a restaurant here that's having some problems. Can you come up and help us? And uh, um, I really have had no restaurant training. Um, I never worked for anybody in the kitchen. You know, my only real experience was either as a server or as a bartender. Uh, I came here and I, I, I tried to get into the, the, the bar business. Uh, and then about three or four years in, uh, I found out that a girl that I, that I really had met recently was pregnant with, with, a, with my child. So uh, I thought, hey, well, the smart thing to do is probably to get out of this unstable you know, nightclub stuff and, and do something that's stable. So I got in the real estate and mortgage business, which was... <laughs> when, talk when, talk when about you're... a winner, right? So uh, I spent, uh, I've spent seven years and, and uh, it started out in mortgage and, it, you know, in year six and seven, I, I had, a, had a company actually in Midtown and uh, it was, was performing pretty well, but when the market crashed, uh, there was just no way out. And, you know, it quickly went from, you know, making good money to spending almost double every month what I made. So to try to keep it, you know, afloat. And uh, is 90 minutes up yet? No, 90 minutes. Um, uh, so, uh, what, 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 you know, when when it crashed, and and I, I'd married when I, that first kid came, and it, that was kind of a, you know, I've decided that you know you don't marry somebody you don't know. That's usually a a bad, you know, bad com combination there. So after the first year, I ended up being, a, I was a single dad for, with 100% custody of my child for the first couple of years. And then I met another uh, girl who I'm married to now. Uh, we, and we had a, a child together. So now there's, you know, one together, two, one each, you know, so we have three girls. Um, but anyway, uh, when the mortgage business crashed, uh, my wife said, you know, you, you obviously don't like what you're doing. You should do something you're passionate about. We had no money. In fact, not only did we have no money, we're, we're trying to figure out how not to be evicted. We're in, literally in the eviction process in the house we were living in. We were just, we were just a mess. So one of my friends said, hey, I have a few dollars. Let's, let's uh, if you, know, you want to do this, let's, let's get you a food truck and, and get it started. So we went down. We, you know, I started surfing Craigslist because I didn't, knew nothing about the food truck business. I mean, literally... On a Thursday, he said, let's do this. On a Saturday, I was driving to San Luis Obispo to go look at this truck. And, and I have a question about that, because in the article, you were so dead set on this specific truck, even though there were all these trucks in the Sacramento area that you could have just like driven across town, well, but I didn't, you went I didn't down know. to this one. Yeah, okay, is that, is that I, I did, one, I didn't know, and two, I'm like, if this guy changes his mind, I'm screwed. So, uh, so essentially, uh, we jumped in the car, my buddy and I, and we, we shot down the San Luis Obispo. And and the, we found this truck. It was a 1975. Uh, to this day, I've never seen a stick shift in a food truck in, in my life. Um, when you're driving around with a, a, a fryer full of hot oil in a stick shift, it's usually a bad a bad choice. So anyway, this is a 1975. It was it was a this big rust bucket, right? I'm looking at this thing going. I don't know if we should serve food in this thing, but uh, we somehow got it up here. Uh, and the story. I mean, I could talk for two hours about the story. You know, we. We had, had a trailer, the trailer disintegrated trailer halfway up in the middle of the highway, you know, you know where Kettleman City is, trucks going 90 miles an hour in each direction. We're trying to drag this upside down trailer that just disintegrated in the middle of the road off the, off the highway. But, but anyway, we got the truck here and uh, then I was just like, now I'm really screwed because- How much did you pay for the truck? Do you remember? Uh, it was around 20 grand, so it, was, it wasn't a lot. Um, but it was probably, I probably could have got a way better deal here if I would have known where they were. Uh, but we got it here and it was just, 
I mean, it was a mess. The undercare, everything was rusted to, I mean, it's been in the beach area its whole life since 1975. I mean, it was the only truck in Sacramento that didn't have to go through emissions or anything like that. It was so old, right? So we spent probably three weeks tearing all the metal off of it and then re-riveting new metal on. So I became a mechanic at the same time. Um, and then I went, you know, I told my wife, I said, you know, we spent all our money trying to get this truck together and uh, now we have no money for food. So I basically wrote a check for, to a supplier for, for, uh, for food and then told my wife I'll be home and when this check will clear. And I spent, you know, probably the next year, seven days a week trying to figure out how to get that thing moving. But that was kind of my, my entry into that business. And that was Wicked Witch. That turned I was into Wicked, Wicked Witch. Witch. Yeah. All right. But but it, but when you're asking about the food, I guess that to add to that, I did have no, I had no cooking experience. So for for the first year, year and a half, you know, I was the cook. I said, I'm gonna put my head down the grill and I'm gonna figure this out. And uh, you can, you know, that's basically what I did. I, you know, there there was no consumer facing Chris Yarosh at that point because I was stuck in a grill trying to figure out how to cook. So so it was it was kind of you know, I think uh, I'm very grateful that you know people supported my my learning curve for that for that first year and a half. So obviously, uh, I got a lot of backstory on and research on you through the Sacramento News Interview story, Garrett. I didn't really know much about. There wasn't much media, but then I remembered. Wait a minute, there is a woman with the last name Van Black who was in my book club that I joined like back in 2010. And I remember she was talking about her son, so proud of him, he had opened up his first bar and uh, she was a little nervous because during the Great Recession and there was a, a portrait of a naked woman on the wall, wasn't sure how that was gonna fly. Um, and we actually went there one night and her son saved a table for us. But I thought, let me get the dirt on Garrett by going through his mom. So his <laughs> uh, Sandy, who's here in the audience, gave me a lot of good information. Nothing scandalous. But I did, I, what I found, I found interesting was like right off the bat, she told me that you grew up on the Van Vleck Ranch, which is a operating cattle ranch, 12,000 acres. It's been around since 1856. I don't know how many generations. But and on the website, it's, it says it, uh, the cattle ranch is one and a half percent of all land in Sacramento County. So that's a pretty big ranch. And I think uh, your Garrett's mom also mentioned that Garrett left the ranch as pretty quick. Maybe he didn't want to raise cattle. So I was just curious, like uh, your start, um, you how that, I mean, did that start, living in a cattle ranch that is so much land, did that have anything to do with you uh, in the food business or not? Um, and then, you know, I was just curious about growing up at a cattle ranch. Was that, what was notable about that? Because that sounds great to me, but maybe it wasn't. So let's start with that. Uh, it is, I mean, it, it's great, but it's it's kind of its own unique way to grow up. You know, you grow up in the city, you want to live out in a cattle ranch. You grow up on a cattle ranch, you want to live in the city. You know, I mean, it's just kind of the way it is. Uh, so yeah, I mean, she was right. I, I graduated, I turned 18, and I was like, We're out of there. I'm out of here. Um, and I still love it. I still like going out there. It's still in the family. Uh, it's great, but... I can't say that it had much to do really with uh, anything I've do I'm doing in the food industry. Uh, that all was kind of just by chance, I suppose. It was kind of a fluke, really, which I guess sounds weird looking back now. But, uh, you know, I, I was always, I guess my first job was at uh, 
slewhouse out near Rancho Marietta. I don't know if anybody else, it's called something. I think it's Meadowlands now. Isn't Meadowlands it? now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So going there for brunch on Sunday. Yeah, I, I've heard good things. I haven't been since I switched the ownership. But that was that was my first restaurant job, uh, bussing tables, and then uh, moved to Seattle, went to art school, bussing tables, uh, and I was I was going for like graphic design and uh, all that kind of stuff, and then moved back and then got a job at uh, Cafe Bernardo monkey bar over there um so once again bussing tables and you know working the register and and uh got out of the restaurant industry for a little while still liked it but uh started doing some graphic design stuff and then uh got laid off doing that and then started working as a bouncer one day a week uh at back at monkey bar so uh started doing that that turned into three or four times a week, then it kind of turned into full-time, and then I was I was a bouncer at like every bar in Sacramento for about five years, Elixir, when it was Icon, R15. I was all kind of all over the place doing that stuff. Uh, still just going to school, I was going to Sac City, uh, then started going to UC Davis. And I started bartending a little bit, just kind of like natural progression, you know, just, um, you know, somebody needed a shift covered, kind of learning it on the fly, as you do with that job. And then um, did that for a while. And then uh, my business partner, Alex, Alex and Jason are my two business partners. And uh, they came to me one day and they said, you ever thought about being in the restaurant industry, opening a restaurant? And I said, no, absolutely not. Like I was going to uh, UC Davis, I was going to school to be a teacher. And they said, well, you should think about it. Thought about it for a little while. And then they came back a few weeks later and they're like, thought about it, something you want to do? And I was like, not really. It's not something I'd really thought about. <laughs> And they, you know, we sat down and talked, and I was like, okay, well, if you guys want to kind of start pursuing this, and you know, I'm busy, but if you guys want to start, you know, fleshing out a project and seeing what's what, and they did, and then we all kind of sat down, we all kind of got together and kind of saw how much money we could scrape up and seeing what was available, and we started kind of pursuing it, and I never, I don't know that I took it that seriously for quite a while, like, you know, it just seemed like something that just wasn't gonna happen. It seemed like a lot, you know, every every place we started looking at seemed like so much money. Every Everything seemed so, I don't know, all the permits and ABC licensing and everything just seemed so overwhelming. And it took about two years from the time we even discussed uh, doing it to actually kind of getting to the point where we're like, this might actually happen. So, uh, you know, we'd go to place to place and everybody tells the same thing, like, you guys don't have enough money, you guys don't have enough to do this. And then the Great Recession happened, and all of a sudden we started getting phone calls like, oh, you guys said you had cash, right? Like, <laughs> like the game changed a little bit, you know, like, everybody was like, oh, go get a loan, go get credit, go get all this stuff, and we couldn't really do it, we just didn't, we didn't have it. And so, yeah, when, when all that went down, all of a sudden uh, our cash became, you know, more useful. Um, and so then one day came about where we, we looked like we were going to sign a lease and I was still going to school and, and one day I just kind of like walked off campus and I was like, I guess I'm not going back to doing this. And, and we all just kind of took everything we had and just kind of threw it in and uh, Shady Lady ended up being what came about. And, and one thing, it feels to me like you both shared in common was you both started the... Uh, brick and mortar establishment, number one during the Great Recession. And number two, it seemed like you picked places that were at the time not, they were out of the way and kind of underlooked. And the buildings that you both looked at 
Uh, this is the first Broderick's Roadhouse in West Sacramento, and obviously Shady Lady on R Street, which is now the R Street Corridor, but before that it was R Street. But these buildings seem like, what, pretty derelict? I think uh, yours didn't have a, uh, a floor, Garrett, it was dirt. So what, what was the... <laughs> What was it that made you both look at these buildings in these places that just were the quote unquote middle of nowhere and make you think, yeah, this is where it's going to happen? What was, what made you decide I'm going to be the one to do this and this is where it's going to happen? Garrett. Um, we had looked at so many places. I mean, we looked at uh, where the press is now, we had looked, oh, we almost signed, we, we were like a day away from signing a lease where uh, Bar West is now. Um, Lowbrow, I mean, we looked at every open place in Sacramento. In, in Midtown, or, yeah, very yeah, generally. All around, and um, so Bay Miri of DNS Development came to us, he'd known my business partner Alex from like high school or, or something, and said they were working on this project, and he brought us down, and um, you know, the place was just gutted to nothing. There was no ceilings, no roof, no anything. What was it before? Do you remember? Well, historically, it was a bakery, an old bakery. That's the, there's a plaque that says historic building bakery something. And um, then it was some sort of print shop, and then it was some artist lofts. It, it went through a, a bunch of different things. But, um, yeah, when they presented us with the idea, um, it was... That was our biggest concern was the location. You know, uh, R15 was there, um, and then Empire, the nightclub now that is Ace of Spades, had kind of well, it had come and gone as some other stuff. It was always kind of like this very iffy thing, and uh, you know, there was a little bit going on down there, but it really hadn't come together as much. And so, yeah, the, the location was our biggest concern uh, opening up, but. As far as the building, you know, we, you know, our, our theme is kind of that historic, you know, 20s jazz kind of theme, and the old brick building fit that, and and we knew the people that were, you know, rehabbing it, and they were willing to kind of give us a good deal, and and uh, it just of everything we looked at, it seemed to be the best option at the time, despite being at the time an iffy location. So uh, that's just kind of what we chose. Chris, what about you and Wasak? What? drew you there uh you know it's a, a little different story so i wasn't looking i guess i really wasn't looking for a brick and mortar at the time um and i had you know my situation's really kind of there's there's a lot of ups and downs and and uh different partnership pieces and everything else but um i ended up in west sac because you know at the time food trucks food trucks in sacramento when they first came out uh there were there were no kitchens for us to work out of, and and legally we're not supposed you, you know you can't cook in your house and and bring food food to the your, out to your truck. And a, a gentleman had come to a, an event at, actually in you know across this we were doing in the park across the street from Hot Italian, and he was looking for somebody to throw some events on a piece of property he had in West Sac. So we'd gone over to look at that piece of property. Uh, and noticed that there was a restaurant sitting there. So the whole time we're sitting in this building, he's talking to us about uh, opening, you know, doing doing events on this this piece of property. And, and I'm looking around, going, "Wow, there's a kitchen here. You know, why, why isn't this being used?" So um, initially, it was it was going to be a place where you know we were. It was there was a bar and a liquor license there, so it was going to be kind of a little rock and roll bar with with some food. Um, because it needed to have food for the liquor license, and then it was going to be a commissary for my food truck. Um, and it, 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 strangely enough, as 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 the thing started, 
we we started serving food there and the bands would show up and they'd have to they'd have to sit there till 11 and wait for people to get out of the tables so they could set up the, to play music and it got to a point where the bands weren't going on because people were eating all night so i was like wait maybe we have something here it looks like this this is this might work out but um the other piece of it that was really interesting was you know the way that the the, the neighborhood embraced us i mean in in, in broderick um, where we started you know if, if you know the backstory on broderick it's it was only really known for gang violence there was a gang called the broderick boys and there was a ton of homeless there and as we were there, uh, and as we started doing business, uh, you know, uh, the the neighborhood really embraced us. The, the city of West Sac embraced us. Uh, they didn't have a, they didn't really have any restaurants on that side of town. Everything was back in, on the in Southport side. So it was really interesting how how that that you know that they kind of adopted us as their place, and we started to see people talk about Broderick for there being a restaurant there instead of the 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 you know the gang. And in fact, it's funny because. The mayor was uh, was a fan of the food truck in the beginning, Christopher Cabaldon. So he would he would ride his bike over at lunch to come grab a sandwich, you know. So I, I became friends with him, and, and when we first were looking at the space, I called him and I said, "Hey, can I can I grab you for a few minutes and talk to you about this space in West Sac?" And he said, "Sure, let's go grab coffee." So we sat down, we're having coffee, and and we're telling him where where we were going, and he's like, "Okay," and he's kind of scratching his head, like really, you know, like. You know, he had the look on his face like, I can't believe these guys are going there, right? And then um, and then he said, what are you going to call it? And I said, I think we're going to call it Broderick. And then he kind of scratched his head again. And he's like, all right. You know, and I, I didn't get it at first. And then I heard the story later. And uh, um, he, after he left, he, he, he got on the phone. He called Chris Ledesma, one of the city councilmen. And he said, and I'm really excited. You know, these, you know, Wicked Witch, they're going to come over and they're going to take over this restaurant. And, and uh, you know, I'm not really sure how it's going to work in this neighborhood. Nothing's really worked, but and he said, but what's really disturbing me is they're going to, they're going to call it, you know, you know what they're going to call it Broderick. And, and, uh, and, uh, the, the response, I think that Chris Ledesma gave him at the time, well, either they're going to, you know, they're going to be okay over there or they might be dead. In a, in a, in a, in a, and that was, it was a true story. Like, that was a, like, great. That's, that's the way I want to start. But I mean, it, it was, it was cool. I mean, it, the the city kind of adopted us as, as their own. Um, the the neighborhood changed, and uh, you know now it's become it's a really cool, you know I mean that that whole area is becoming kind of like the Brooklyn of of Sacramento, right? So, um, and and the story of Broderick too, and just not to go off on another tangent, but it's a really cool story. Uh, if you don't know it, there was a an, an abolitionist senator in the early, in the mid 1800s who. Uh, got in an argument with a, a Supreme Court justice uh, over slavery, uh, this pro-slavery Supreme Court justice, and uh, this this uh, senator uh, had no business. He was a he was kind of a more of an East Coast guy that came out for the for the gold rush. Had no business challenging this guy, but he the 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 pro-slavery Supreme Court uh, justice was kind of like that salt of the earth guy. He'd been like stabbed a bunch of times, and there was all these crazy stories, right? And uh, he he stood his he stood his ground on this slavery argument and uh, decided to take it out in the street and have a duel over it. And he he they right outside of uh, uh, I think it's like in the Alameda area down in um, the in San Francisco. The argument actually took place in Sacramento, but they they actually had a duel and David Broderick had no business uh, in that duel and he accidentally misfired his pistol into the ground and. Justice Terry shot him, and three days later he died. But 
uh, Broderick was named after him. Broderick was named in honor of him, right? But David Broderick being killed in that duel was one of the catalysts to push us in the Civil War. So, you know, we just thought there couldn't be a cooler story, right? There's this guy that, came, that, that basically fought for what he believed in, had no business whatsoever, and, and got killed in the process. So, um, but that's not where I wanted to end up, obviously, but, <laughs> but, uh, Good role but it, but it, but it was a great, it was a great way to start it. And now, you know, we've kind of tried to adopt that, that motto with Broderick. I mean, we, we, we're, we, we like to call ourselves the second chance place. We take a lot of people out of a lot of different programs. Right now I'm working with San Quentin. We're taking a lot of guys out of San Quentin culinary program. We're rehabilitating them at Broderick. So, um, it's kind of become that, that kind of place. So, um, but that's where it came from. So there's Broderick's in West Sac, and then Midtown, uh, Roseville as of Thursday, and then Folsom, Walnut Creek, right? Walnut Creek, and then Folsom. Folsom in November, uh, Howe Avenue probably December, January. And then California, uh, and then the world. And then there's a couple other ones on the books, yeah, but we're getting there. Um, so the whole empire of food building, it seems like, again, another thing that you two have in common is concept, taking a concept and turning into a hot spot. So shady lady speakeasy, right? The brick walls, 1920s, naked women on the, on the, on the uh, walls. Broderick, the backstory. So I guess you don't have the star chef. Um, you're not the star bartender. But it seems like you both have this great skill of taking a concept and, and turning it into a space where you get the people who, who do the cooking and the design or whatever into it. So what are your skills in terms of like when you have an idea for Broderick's and then Milagro and the State House Capitol, which we're going to go into detail, or, you know, uh, Shady Lady, B-Side, Amaro. What's, how do you turn that idea into a full-fleshed-out establishment? What are the skills that you have to do that? Or Garrett. Um, I don't it was something I just kind of learned like in the process I, I didn't know that that was gonna kind of be my role in in my my company in my group that kind of became my go-to you know like come up with a concept design it you know build it out whatever um, and I like that that's what that's kind of become my role but uh, I don't know I learned a lot when we were opening Shady just watching the whole process um, you know, talking to contractors, the whole thing, just seeing how it all came together, picking out all the stuff. Um, I don't know. Every, every there's two ways to go about it, really. I always think when you're, you're opening a restaurant, you either you have a concept that you kind of make happen no matter what. I guess with like Shady Lady, we learned that like we uh, to me a concept sort of has to spit the, fit the space it's going into. Like you can't force. We looked at a ton of places for Shady Lady. Some were more modern, glass, metal. Um, and it wouldn't have worked. You know, we had to be flexible on what we were trying to do. Um, and, and I feel that way with pretty much every space we go into. You know, I have ideas about what I want to do, like the different concepts I'd like to see or try to make happen. But when a space becomes available, uh, you kind of have to make something that works in that space too. I mean, or the other way around, or you have a concept that you're just dead set on, and then you have to find the space that works for that concept. And I don't know, one thing we've always kind of stuck with uh, with all of our places is that I think it's good to have at least a little bit of a theme. Like you don't, you don't want to be too themed and that people feel like they need to be in a costume or employees feel like they need to be in a costume or, or you know, whatever it is. Uh, but I think that it's important 
when a person goes into a restaurant, they look around and they go, I know what this is. I know what this is about. I, you know, you go walk into Shady and I hope that you know it's kind of a jazz place with cocktails and, you know, you walk into B-Side and it's kind of a 70s dive bar and, you know, by no means are you required to conform to that theme. You can dress how you want, you can drink what you want, it doesn't matter, but um, that's kind of something I've always stuck by and, and, you know, I've learned more and more as the process has gone on is that I think it, it's an important thing, you know, when somebody walks into a place, they, they say, I, I get this, I know what this is, I know what to expect from this place, and when they talk to their friends, I, they, you know, I really like this place, it was a 70s vinyl bar, you know. I think if, if they go into a place and somebody says, well, what was it like, and they go, I don't know, I could get a piece of pizza and I think a beer and I don't know, it was, it was nice. I, I think you kind of like missed something there, you know. I think it's important. So that, that's kind of become my role in, in our company and something I really enjoy doing. Um, it can drive you crazy a little bit, trying to make things fit and work and you know, you see things not coming together, the lighting's not working, it drives you nuts, but I don't know, it's fun. It's, it's, I went to art school and I went to you know, do graph design and I never ended up really doing that too specifically, but this kind of fits into that thing and I, I enjoy doing it. And Chris, what about you, I guess? Concept to full fleshed out place. What's your, what's your strategy or skill well, trick for doing that? I'd like to say I had a plan, but uh, unfortunately I didn't. You know, um, I think I was just hungry. At the beginning I was hungry for an opportunity. You know, so I, I took on, you know, as I tried to take on some other projects, which I've closed half as many restaurants as I've opened. So, and, and more so because, uh, you know, when you when you're hungry for an opportunity you know I came from a pretty humble beginning so it kind of went to my head I think in the beginning I'm like man I, I have an opportunity to expand and do more and I didn't plan and you know Garrett said something this morning when we did the little TV spot and he said do the research first work in a restaurant for a while understand the business side you know those are the things that uh, that he would recommend for somebody going into the business and those are all the things I didn't do uh, you know, in the beginning, and and I learned the hard way that you know, um, restaurants are hard. I mean, we we you know have to our hours of operation are long. It's got the most uh, and, and on, on the most positive side is that we've have the most incredible people um, working with us on our teams, but on the other side we have some crazy people working with us on our teams. It's it's definitely it's a, it's a business that. It you know it attracts the the greatest you know creatives and coolest people and also the craziest people that on, that that are on the planet too. So it, it was really difficult to navigate through that and then the responsibilities. I mean, I, I grew up as a I wasn't a very responsible person. I, I was running away from a lot in my life and and uh, I like to hit the bottle every once in a while and do things like that. And it it uh, that part. Uh, was hard to work through because I didn't I did not control that um, definitely in, as, as in, you know it took me a shit half the time I've, I've done this it's 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 taken me just to learn those lessons to be more responsible but um, as far as the the the, uh, the you know pretty much everything I've done has, has been based on historical references like the Patriots because you know I I absolutely love this country I think it's the greatest place on the planet and. And I love the fact that we have the freedoms that we have, and I think we should celebrate it every day, and, and we're going to do that through the Patriot. Um, for Broderick, 
you know, it was about rock and roll for me and food. And, and like I said earlier, I'm a dr- I was kind of a drifter. So I got to live in some really cool places and I ate a lot of quick, good food. And, and I wanted to share that with folks. And then, the, and then the, from there, it was the team because, you know, I have the greatest team. No offense. But, uh, man, I'll tell you what, my team carried me through a few years of really rough times, financial struggles, figuring it out. I mean, I have folks that, that, that have been at Broderick from the day we, you know, opened the doors, and they believed in it. And when I didn't, they believed in it, and, and we made it through because of it. So um, now I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit smarter, you know, in, in the plan, and, and obviously in the last year, with some of the you know the mistakes because I probably I'd like to think I claim the title for the most mistakes um, I'd like to say I've learned from those mistakes and now you know what's exciting is sharing that with other people because you know we get it every day how do I get in the business what do I do you know and and that, that question this morning was really uh, we you know it's constant and you know everybody loves it because they think it's glamorous and then you see the restaurant tour get walk out the back door and get in his broken down Hyundai with three wheels and and drive off right because they think that we're you know we're we're making a tough a ton of money and it's really what drives us is passion i mean i love what i do i mean i can't sometimes i don't want to go to bed and and i'm trying to figure out how to get up earlier just cuz i love to get up the next day and and go work with the with my team and and the people that i mean it's it's really, it's, I have my dream come true every day when I get up. I mean, it's 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 amazing to have the, the team that I have and and to to, you know, to be able to do it. So that that's what my inspiration comes from that. So that that leads into my next question is I guess failures. You know, closing a restaurant or going to something where you're not sure and it didn't end up the way you wanted to. So for each of you, you can describe some situation or some establishment where you went in, it didn't work the way you wanted to for whatever reason. Uh, why and what did you learn from it and what did you take away from that that you put into place for the next for the next uh, establishment so lesson you know lesson learned from some failure along the way Garrett yeah um, I guess our first kind of failure was we we tried to do that project out in Galt uh, the Brewster's uh, building and that wasn't really something we were so excited about doing uh, the building owners, the, the same uh, guys who own Shady Lady, and and they came to us and they said, we're building out this building, and the city's gonna build this bowling alley and this movie theater around you, and it's gonna be this awesome thing. And uh, we, we still were really unsure, and then they kind of came back with a better deal, and we were still really unsure, and finally they talked us into it, and we got out there, and like, I love the place. Like, the place was beautiful. Uh, you know, I, I felt everything came together. I thought the food was pretty good, you know, like, but, uh, it quickly was apparent that the community was not going to embrace us. What was the theme? What was the decor or the style? It was a little bit. Uh, it was a little bit like Shady Lady. Um, they had with that project. They had done a lot of the work before because they were kind of shopping for somebody to come out and do it, and so they had gone a long way with the decor before we kind of got involved, and we had some say in the, the final finishes and stuff. But it was Shady Lady. Uh, two floors, bars on both sides, stage on top. It was, it was gorgeous. But um, you know, a few months in, we realized that they didn't kind of not want us there. And then it quickly became apparent that the city was not following through on movie theater and bowling alley and everything. And and so we were kind of left with trying to, um, you know, make things work out there. And 
it was, I don't know, it was, it was uh, the first time I'd ever quite experienced, you know, they'd be like, well, you know, you're from Sacramento, you're not from here, you don't know how it is. And I'd be like, I, I, I went to Elk Grove High School, like I, I, I grew up just down the road, like I, I you know, I, I don't feel like such an outsider, but very much treated that way. And uh, as it went, you know, it, it, it's the worst thing when you're, you're running a restaurant where you, you slowly just start to realize it's, it's not going to happen. And you, you know, you start to, you start to cut hours and you start to change the menu and you kind of see if something else is going to work and you know you do your best but you just see it start to slide and uh you know you're looking around like like chris said you know you're working with the greatest people sometimes the craziest people i, I liken it to kind of running a pirate ship sometimes <laughs> but you know you start to have to cut hours and and uh it's it's just a really hard thing to have to face when you kind of come to that reality and you you don't know it it's hard. It's hard to find that point where you're just like, okay, you have to pull the trigger and say, this is just not going to work. And you have to, you have to cut your losses. And, and, uh, you know, we, we started laying people off and, and you feel terrible about it. Luckily we were able to find somebody to come in and, and, uh, who was more like local and kind of a family and, you know, buy, buy, I mean, we definitely took some losses, but buy it out from under us and, and keep on a lot of the people that, uh, were working there. But yeah, uh, learned a lot of lessons from that. I mean, you know, it was really, really hard. And it's the last thing you ever want to do is have to actually really come to the point where you're like, we have to close this down. Um, yeah, it's, it's terrible. It's a terrible feeling, but it, it's a lesson to be learned too. I mean, I think any restaurant owner who's going to try and do multiple places, unless they're unbelievably lucky, is going to have to face that sooner or later. And sometimes there's some ideas that are, you do it before the time is right, before their time. Is that one of them, do you think? Was the time just not right, maybe later, or it's just in general, no? With that particular one, no. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't, well, had, had they followed through a lot of stuff, maybe it would worked out, but it's so hard to say. I mean, you really, when, you know, I hear people say that all the time, like, oh, I was just ahead of its time, but that, I mean, that's just a guess. You know, you don't really know. You know, had you done the place a year later, maybe it would have worked, maybe it wouldn't. I mean, it's a nice thing to think that if it had just been just a little bit different time, it would have worked, but you don't really know. I mean, it doesn't make any difference. It works or it doesn't. And at the end of the day, you gotta make those decisions. So, you know, another time is just an excuse kind of, so, yeah. Chris, what about you? Well, uh, you know, I got an opportunity to come across the bridge and, and you know, so I get a call, a call, random call one day from some folks that had a couple spots on on the Sacramento side and uh, they, they had kind of dug a hole and uh, they, they were significantly in debt. And they called me and said, basically, hey, if you can help us get out of this, you know, we'll give you a partnership role if you can come, come dig us out. And, you know, for me, and this is where my lack of, of uh, you know, understanding of the business, uh, how it went, um, they had a, probably maybe a half a million dollars of debt at the time or something like that. And in my mind, I'm going, oh, it takes about a million and a quarter to build out a restaurant. So if I can get in for a mil- half a million, then then I'm good. Well, one, I didn't realize, you know, how difficult it was going to be to turn the spaces. But but also that debt is was, you know, that type of debt is um, it's high pressure debt. It's not like it's there's a, you know, you can call the bank and say, you know, uh, can I get an extra 10 days on my payment or whatever else. And obviously I was in no position to, to have any. Uh, to be able to get a loan because I had just crashed and was bankrupt from my from being in the real estate business. I mean, I'd filed bankruptcy. I'd walked from a house. It was it was crazy. So, 
um, I walked into this, you know, one of the two restaurants that I was in, and I was there. I mean, I we scraped together fifty thousand bucks from what Wasak had done in Broderick, and you know, it didn't didn't know what Broderick that Broderick had legs yet at that point. It was it was it was it was just a different different time. So you know, came up with these other concepts. I was three weeks in. I'd take my fifty thousand, and I started to make some improvements. And the landlord knocked on the, well, didn't knock, but a process server knocks on the door and serves me a three-day notice to pay or quit. And I'm like, okay, so now they're $50,000 behind, $75,000 behind in rent, which, you know, I took took the people at face value when I went in. So every day that I went to work, I was trying to 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 overcome the next bill. And then... I get a letter in the mail, and there's three employees that were never paid, and they were at the labor board, and there were, there were all these things that just started to pile up. So, in my mind, every day I would find a way to go. I can I can will this to happen. I'm going to come in tomorrow, and I'm going to make I'm going to make this work. And you know, people are going to come, and people don't come because you want to will it to happen. And 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 <laughs> found that out the hard way. But, but you know, and then also in our in our business, you know. Bad experiences for people in, in in the business, no matter what the change is, no matter who's doing it, some people just won't come back, and and th- and that's another thing we found that 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 we couldn't overcome, you know, some of the the negativity surrounding the you know the, how the space was previous. So you know, I spent two years, and th- this is where where I really had the lack of experience. I spent two years saying I can fix this. There's a, there's a way out of this hole. I can I can make this work. Not not willing to understand and not willing to accept the fact that that you know sometimes you just need to cut your losses and in my mind I, I thought failure wasn't an option um and the next thing you know i'm like almost a million dollars in debt and i'm going this is you know it, it, and that's when you know like when he said you you know you're making all these hard decisions you're figuring out figuring out what you know who you have to lay off and what bill you're not going to pay and the easiest bill not to pay is your taxes because you know you know you can you can still get food every day if you pay your your vendors right but if you don't if you but your rent rents the other one right yeah those are the two now i've befriended the landlord who was originally trying to kick me out at the beginning so and and he was like don't worry about the rent we'll get worry about that later as that still piled up in the background but you know don't worry about it but it was the taxes that was the that was the, the point where it was like well i can get around i can get around this i'll, I'll just and because when I started in West Sac, we started again with nothing. So we, we did get behind, but we we overcame it and got ahead. Well, it didn't work the same way here, you know. And then when a, when somebody from a taxing authority shows up at your door and says, I'm going to take your register today. And then, then, then you start to go, okay, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to overcome this. And and the other thing is we're in the recession, right? So if it was five years earlier, there were the same mortgage and real estate guys were running around trying to figure out how to spend their money, but finding an investor in that 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 time was impossible. So, and not having the sophistication. To, I mean, I I truly didn't have the sophistication to go out and and, and even know how to to raise the capital. So, um, I just kept digging a, a deeper and deeper hole. But what I learned from I learned so much from those two years of putting myself in this extremely you know crappy debt situation. Um, that obviously it taught me how to manage moving forward, right? And, and how to, to treat that moving forward. And, and it also introduced me to so many people, you know, it, being on the side. And, you know, the folks that, that I ended up partnering with to, to help grow Broderick, I would have never met them if I, if I hadn't taken those risks in the first place. And the perception, 
you know, I was lucky to get a lot of media in the beginning because they're like, this guy's crazy, he's opening up restaurants. And I'm like, if they only knew what was going on behind the closed doors, people, you know, people call me and go, you're obviously making money because you have all these spaces. And I'm like, the more you have, the more you owe, really, in this business right now. So, um, so that's kind of where I was. And, and now I'm, you know, I have one of my, I, I have a growth strategy for Broderick for a couple reasons. One, because I love it. And I, I mean, I love the people and I love the brand and, and I want to grow it. But two, because if I don't, open up 10 damn restaurants, I'm going to be paying these, that debt off for the rest of my life. So, 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 you know, at some point I want to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to take, you know, and luckily, you know, what else I learned is if you communicate to people and you, you're honest with people, they'll work with you and, you know, they'll help you. So a lot of those folks that I couldn't get paid in the beginning are now some of my best friends and are helping me. I mean, my number one debtor is now my number one investor. So, um, you know, that's the other piece of it. So. So now moving on, I'm going to ask a couple more questions and then uh, people can ask you questions from the mic. But uh, so branching out, um, so for Garrett, it feels like to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, right now it's, you know, Shady Lady was the beginning and Esquire named you one of the top 25 bars in America. How many years were you uh, up and running before you got that designation? Was it a couple of years, or it wasn't? It didn't seem too long. Do you remember? It was a uh, top fifteen bars in America. To I'm sorry, top fifteen. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, Excuse me. I, I guess we had been up and running seven, about six, six and a half, seven years when oh, okay. when that kind of came about. Okay. So yes, so uh, Shady Lady was you know gangbusters from the beginning. Uh, B-Side, and then all the other ones. But Amaro, to me, which is the most recent one that you've done, mm -hmm. seems different in a way that it's really focused on the food. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously decor is a big, it's a big thing there. It's, it's, a, it's a lovely uh, place. And I was wondering, is, is, that, is that right? Is Amaro a different beast because it's different in terms of you know, decor or food? And if so, what made you decide to branch out in a different way than you have with other places? Uh, well, with the Morrow, uh, admittedly, like, I mean, I, I did the interior design on it, but that was really more a project that my business partners wanted to take on. Uh, Alex is very Italian, uh, had all his, you know, dad's recipes, and Jason's very foodie, and Kevin, our head chef, who's been our head chef for all the places. Uh, that, that was really kind of their endeavor that they really wanted to take on. I, uh, I definitely stick more to the bar side of things. Like B-side was kind of my, that was, your baby. Like, that was like the one I really wanted to do. And then they turned around and that was the one they really wanted to do. So, um, I mean, I love it. I'm there all the time. Uh, you know, I'm happy with it, but it was definitely their, you know, passion project. How does it work then with you? Because Chris is basically like the, the guy and he makes the decisions, but you have two other business partners that you have to make decisions with. So how does that work? How do you guys make it work where no one's pissed we, off at each other? Uh, I mean, we argue about everything every day, all day. I mean, <laughs> but in a good way, you know, we argue about, we'll spend an hour arguing about what we think the color of the napkins should be or what kind of fork we should get or the plates or we'd argue about every little detail every day, all day. But, uh, it's, it's a good thing. I mean, we don't, nobody takes it personally. Nobody's got too much of an ego. We all, you know, we'll, we'll argue for an hour about the stupidest thing and then we'll say, okay, I guess you were right and have a shot and call it a day. Like, it's, it's, it's been, um, we're three very polar opposite personalities and for us it works. I mean, I know a lot of people who 
want to kill their business partners and sometimes I do too, but um, we each kind of occupy a space in the business and you know, very, very different things and we all have our niches and we each do our own work and take care of the certain things that we've, these roles that have just kind of developed over the past several years of you're better at this, you're better at this, you're better at this and those kind of go to every you know, bar restaurant we have. So I don't know, we, we, we get along, I mean we argue but we get along and um, I think most of the part for the better and that there's there's no there's definitely no yes men in our company you know it's 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 kind of a running joke amongst our employees that if you get the three of us in a room you know our, everybody's just like jesus christ like okay and we're over in the corner just yelling at each other about you know menu format or or whatever and um but i don't know it's just the way we work and for us it works you know i enjoy it who are you i mean in terms of like the three of you are you the one that makes them see reason in terms of the financial side are you the design guy what's your role i mean i definitely see? my personal role is i i do all the graphic design and the interior design and you know some of the media stuff and uh, this kind of stuff and uh it, alex does more of the you know spreadsheets and financials and jason kind of stays in the kitchen and does a lot of that stuff uh i'd say in our meetings it tends to be them arguing really back and forth at each other and I just kind of sit and listen and sip on a drink and after a half hour I just go you're right like, <laughs> I, one person. like I you know I, I guess I'm kind of the I tend to be the deciding vote between the two after they argue um, but it's just kind of the dynamic that's worked out over so many years of you know the craziness of it all and it's all right <laughs> it's worked yeah so Chris what's interesting uh, just so much uh, recently the Milagro Center which is in Carmichael where I grew up and I just wanted to get the hell out when I was 18 like Carmichael so boring but you're bringing out and and he lives in Carmichael sorry but well I can say that but I'm sure it's changed but so yeah you're bringing out I mean I know it's changed but you are that's interesting to me it seems like that is there's so much happening on the grid and you are one of the few that's like I'm going to bring it out to someplace else. So Milagro is a big project for you. And then also the state capitol, which was a big focus on that Sacramento News and Review story, the state legislature gave you, basically it sounds like full reign of all the dining establishments in the capitol. There's the basement, there's the sixth floor dining room, which I, there is a, a legislature member only elevator, and then there's the for rest of us, I got to ride up in the legislature. So I saw, I saw your places. But to me, it sounds like that's, those are two totally different projects than what you, all the Brodericks. So what, um, what are you doing with this? What are the specifics about Milagro and the capital that you're really focusing on and the vision for each? First of all, before I forget, I want to, J.E. over there, I want to give him a, sh a shout out and thank you because he's one of the guys that stuck with me when I had no money to pay my bills. So thank you, buddy for a long time. J.E., yes, he's a great supporter. I hope I still don't owe you a lot of money. <laughs> um, no, he's been, he's been great, and he's, you know, we're, we're out now, we're out, out in the suburbs, and, and uh, we're, we're, we're taking Roostaller with us on wherever we go, so. Um, but I guess I'm just a glutton for punishment, maybe? I don't know. I, um, I, I'm, I'm trying, like I said, I'm trying to get better, but I, I also like a challenge, you know? Um, uh, Milagro, the conceptually sounded really cool to me. I mean, Milagro's miracle in, 
in uh, in Spanish. Um, uh, Nancy Benvenuti, Joe Benvenuti, who brought the Kings to Sacramento, uh, her dream was to 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 do something cool out in Carmichael. And uh, you know, I I met her when she was uh, struggling with with cancer, and she. She died in the process and passed away in the process well before she was able to see it come to fruition. But she was just so passionate about what she was doing. And it was it was really kind of uh, uh, to me, it was what she wanted to do and, and kind of what the way we saw West Sac transform. It just seemed like a good an opportunity, great opportunity. And uh, again, it was an opportunity, you know, for you know, for for me, somebody coming to me and saying, we want you and we're going to work with you and make it work for you. Uh, it was it was kind of it was it was kind of a special experience. So, so going out there and having the opportunity to kind of help transform a, a community um, was kind of exciting, and it has transformed. I mean, we haven't finished our project yet. I have an event space out there that's pretty cool. It's a it's about eight thousand square feet, and it's 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 basically set up. And it was Nancy's vision uh, to have an event space where we could bring in culinary talents from around, hopefully, the world. And we set the, it's a, it has a demonstration kitchen with all these video cameras, and it projects it all around the room. So the idea is for people to come around from around the country and perform, uh, and you know, the culinary arts. So um, when, I, when, when I saw that vision, I just thought it was cool. And I had this, this idea of this restaurant, The Patriot, that I wanted to do for a while, um, because I think that uh, the most underappreciated, one of the most underappreciated groups of people in this country are veterans. Um, to, to, to serve whether, you know, it's your, it, it, whether you believe in the cause or not f from, a, from morally to go and, and you know, sacrifice your, your life and, and, and you know, uh, to me is, is, is there is no better, there is no, no more, nothing more respectable than that. So I wanted to celebrate that um, through the Patriot and that's kind of what we're doing. And it, and it was an opportunity to do it, so we took that on, and uh, we're on. Can I ask about that? What's the concept behind the Patriot in terms of food or decor or the veterans it's being involved? It's just corn dogs. I mean, I, everybody loves a corn dog, right? What's more American than corn dogs? Um, you know, it started out, it was supposed to kind of chronicle my life in food because I've lived in so many places. I lived, you know, from Key West to New York to all these places, so, you know, it's probably the most, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, well, not eclectic, what's, you know, like multiple personalities. Uh, multiple personalities, like schizophrenic. Let's call it a schizophrenic restaurant, right? <laughs> there's a pizza kitchen, there's a, you know, a crazy French rotisserie, there's all this weird stuff in there, right? So, um, it, you know, there, I, wanted to, I wanted to share all these experiences I had with people here because one of the things that, that I felt that, Sacramento had a lot of California cuisine, but it didn't have a lot of East Coast-style seafood or New York-style pizza, or, you know. So, so that was the thought: was, you know, let's let's chronicle all this stuff. And then um, it took me so long to get it through, to get it done. I had I you know, I'd gone through a couple chefs, and and finally have I put together a team that I think is going to be amazing. So, so we're now going through and trying to figure out how to showcase different areas because as much as I love farm to fork and sourcing locally. Uh, here, which I think is, you know, incredibly important, and, and, and I've tried to be in the heart of it. Um, and then and that's really the, the, what, what got me into it was the food truck, because in the beginning, when you don't have a home base, you don't have a supplier, 
it was easier to go to the farmer's market and to go out to a farm and grab stuff than it was to, to get stuff from, from the suppliers. So, um, but, but, uh, but also we have a global responsibility. I mean, if everybody stops buying tuna because they're buying everything local, then what happens to the tuna farmer? They have a family too, you know, and, and there's some of the best pork in the world's in, you know, on the East coast. And there's just great things that we, that we also, we don't, uh, have to experience here. So the idea of what the Patriot was, um, to have local relationships, not necessarily local in the sense of it's down the street, but I want to know the farmer in North Carolina where I bought it, and I want to know their family and, and how that works. So that's kind of what, what the Patriot was or is. And then the capital on the other side was more, I was humbled because it was like, this is, this is the place uh, they say, and I, I think the statistic's kind of weird, but they say it's the, the second highest traffic tourist destination in the state of California, or the state of California, behind Disneyland, which to me sounds a little far-fetched, but, but they have, they have a couple million visitors a year, unique visitors that come through that building, and, and a lot of them are dignitaries from around the world, so I said, if there's one place to celebrate our region, you know, Sacramento, I mean, we live in, whether you believe it or not, and the, the farm-to-fork thing, the is, capital is not a marketing ploy, I mean, it, we use it as a marketing ploy, but we're marketing what we are. Um, we are the the, the densest uh, agricultural region in in the country for for what we have, and, and maybe maybe the world. So if there is a place to celebrate that and and take that message to another level, it was the capital, right? I mean, these people are coming through from all over the world, and and the message when they go they went home was, holy shit, Sacramento is pretty badass, you know? Like there's good stuff there. So I was allowed to say that, right? She told me I was uncensored, and I think I've done pretty well tonight. Um, but, but truly, so that was the opportunity. It was like, how do we, how do we utilize this? So really now, it, I have almost no kitchen. I have a, a little flat-top grill in, in the, on the sixth floor, and we're just doing more grab-and-go type stuff uh, in a coffee shop. Um, and, but on the, in the sixth floor, we're building a, a pretty incredible kitchen, and that's our plan. Our plan is to showcase what our region has to offer um, in the capital. So when people come through, they they take something home with them. They know that Sacramento truly is what we market. Will you be hosting events in the basement or allow people to rent out that basement space? Or is, uh, is that through you? I asked this because I went there a couple of days ago. I wanted to see this stay house. I never thought of it as a dining destination, but I wanted to see what you were doing with it. And there is the basement, which does seem like it's very historical in terms of a lot of Deals have been made there in action, so I was just curious about whether that's someplace where you're really going to build up, or that's pretty much done in the basement and you're moving up to the sixth floor and focusing on that, which is a great outdoor, like the sun comes in and like the armchairs. But yeah, what are are you are is there is there one part of it that's already set and done, or are you still working on both the dining establishments? Well, the sixth the sixth floor is is a uh, it, it was a kind of a that's a state house cafe right state house cafe so it, it, originally when when we when i first saw it it was more just a you know a production line kitchen where somebody was just throwing something on a plate and and we we decided to you know we, we were supposed to do the basement first which was going to be a full service restaurant so we said let's gut the kitchen upstairs and and uh, you know make it more of a, a lounge and coffee shop and and I'm a huge, uh, I love mid-century 
mid-century art, mid-century modern furniture. So we we had the, had the opportunity to go and redesign it and and kind of make it cool. Um, and then they said uh, we're not going to be able to get the sixth floor done first. So now you have uh, the we or the the basement done first. So you have to do the sixth floor first. And you just got your kitchen, so you're gonna have to figure out how to serve food. So that became a challenge. So now we're we're doing more like Starbucks on steroids, where it's grab and go type stuff. Um, but in the basement, um, in the basement is uh, I'm the most ADD guy in the world. And Michael Tiemann's restaurant on on Empress. So if you go into the basement of the Capitol, it's kind of like Empress, but it, it's the original, you know brick arches and the whole nine yards that, that that's just been under the Capitol. So um, we we plan to have that full service restaurant open down there. And yes, uh, you'll be able to rent it out at some point. We're working on a liquor license in the Capitol. I mean, there's a lot of liquor in the Capitol. People just uh, don't normally see it. Obviously, you've seen some of the political decisions here lately. So somebody's doing something, either smoking or drinking something. So um, but uh, uh, that's what—that's the plan. The plan is to have a cool place to, to go grab, you know, or throw an event. That'd be a cool place to have an event. I'm—I'm I'm going to keep my eye on it. So, so questions from from you all, if you want to line up to the mic, um, uh, don't be shy because I—I have tons of questions, but I want to save time. And also, uh, FYI, Garrett brought a whole bunch of gift certificates. So, for anyone who has a really good question, you're going to get one. So. Okay, all right, so here's our first question. Well, make a good question. Okay, well, three questions, but you know, concise, yeah, three-parter. Um, somewhere in there answered, do you cook? Oh, it's not on? It, it is, is on. on, just make sure that you, we hear you so that. So somewhere in there, do you cook, both of you. Um, if somebody really wanted to open a restaurant, you, heard, you have lots of people come to you right and you've already talked about there's a lot you have to really figure out right as far as the money piece because of the low margins so what would you tell them besides go work in it oh you both talked about great teams so how do you pick great teams and then i'd love to know what it was like to be in the marines as you okay that was four questions <laughs> that's worth something okay so how how do you pick a team is one and the kitchen. And then for Chris, what was it like in the Marines? So who wants to take part one first? Garrett. Uh, I stay out of the kitchen. That is, uh, I'm- Do you pick who goes in the kitchen? No, no. Uh, I mean, when, when I first met my business partners, um, Jason was working in the kitchen and Alex was sort of general managing and I was running the bar and, and those just always kind of stayed as a basis for our, uh, our roles. Um, so no, I'm, I'm definitely not, I'm not the cook of the, the group. Um, and then uh, you asked about uh, when somebody comes with an idea or whatever. So for and uh, just for the podcast, it's like if someone comes to you and says, "Hey, I have an idea for my own restaurant." What do you say to them? Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah, it happens all the time. Um, there's so there's so many things, but I usually. I kind of ask them where they're at with things, you know, what, what experience they have, um, what they kind of want to do, what their concept is, um, you know, do they have the capital to maybe make it happen? Um, I don't know, I, I kind of go through a checklist of, of things with people about, do you know about this? Do you know about this? Do you know about how to procure an ABC license? Do you know how to, you know, deal with health department? Do you know how to do all these things? 
uh, EDD, all that stuff. You know, I just kind of, I don't know. I, I, I really love watching, whether I'm a partner in it or part of it or, or whatever, like I always love watching people go through the process and, and I'm always happy to help with whatever answers I can give to anybody. Um, I guess if I just had like a piece of advice in the current like restaurant climate, uh, keep it small. Like keep it really, really small. Um, now run, well, <laughs> if you've decided not to run, uh, yeah, yeah, keep it, keep it small. Um, you know, find a small space, find a, you know, niche little concept that you can run with just a few people and uh, keep your overhead as low as possible and just try to do something cool, minimal with, with what you have. Um, you know, I think we went through several years of so many people trying to open these big, grand concepts and, and be more elaborate than the next guy and, you know, it, it, and it's just, there's so much competition now, especially Sacramento's really impacted right now with everything, so if you have a concept, just, yeah, keep it small and, and be able to run it with as few people as possible would be, I think, the best advice I can give. And then Chris, the Marines, how was that like? Uh, you know, uh, I kind of came from a military family, so, and, and for and it was it was after my first year of college, um, and then, you know didn't know how I was going to pay for for the next year, and uh, uh, it was more of a it wasn't a, at the time it was one of those decisions of like a, almost like a dare oh we're going to summer camp it's the Marines, <laughs> not summer camp. Um, I, I remember uh, it was when we went, I was on the East Coast so I went to Paris I, I was on Paris Island in boot camp, and I remember laying in bed at night going, how can they treat a human being this way? Like, how can, how can you be put through your, what you're put through? And, and, I, and obviously after, you know, three months of, of basic training, three, four months, I realized that everything that was done was done to prepare us for, you know, being in some pretty ugly situations later. Um, you know, we'd be on a parade deck, it's 110 degrees and in the Carolinas on an island, you know, and it's humid and you have mosquitoes just covering your body. And if you move, the drill instructor comes by. And this is at a time where you, they still got away with stuff. They, you know, throw an elbow into your throat if you moved when, when the mosquitoes were eating you alive. So it was really interesting. But, um, uh, you know, from, a, from the perspective of, you know, the training that you went through to get there. But, you know, um, like I said, you know, just humbled to be in the in the in the in the company of folks that were there for the reasons they were there for i mean they were there because they and some people were there because they didn't know what to do money wise but a lot of people were there because they they loved this country and they wanted to 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 you know to you know they they loved it enough that they were willing to put their life on the line for it so it was pr pretty humbling experience and uh definitely something i'm very grateful that i that i did do you think that made you like, any skills that you learned there that you brought with you uh, in your current line of work? Um, I think probably probably just just more, you know, not really, I'm a pretty even-keeled guy. Like if you, the folks that are on my team will tell you that, you know, very rarely do they ever see emotion. Uh, I mean, it, more excitement, but at the end of the day, like, you know, seeing the, some of the stuff I've seen in my life, you know, there's a lot more things to be, the, the, to get freaked out over other than, you know, the things that we see in our lives. There's so many things that, there's so many people that deal, I mean, I'll just give you a perfect example. 
um, at the Capitol, we were we we were initially trying to figure out where we we're going to find staffing, and that's a, a huge challenge we have right now is staffing because they're just there are restaurants opening left and right, and there aren't people here, skilled people, to do it. And uh, I had met some folks through the International Rescue Committee, and they were talking about. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of refugees that have moved here, and they got citizenship also for the similar reasons. There's, you know, basically they're if they're cooperating cooperating with the military in a lot of in you know mil, milita militarized zones, they can earn you know um, citizenship here, and they almost have to because a lot of these folks, if they don't. That, that's it. Like if they don't, if they if they cooperate with the military, then you know. And and, and what I was most humbled by, and I think I'm doing my ADD drifting thing, but it, I think it's um it's important for us to remember um, how good we have it because I'm sitting here listening to this story at one of the the IRC's um, uh, fundraising events, and and it was this guy talking about he he had rewritten his the memoirs about his life. And, he's, and he was talking about his, his, his life that day, and he came home, and he's like, oh, I got home today, and you know, my, um, my neighbors were all, their house was burned down, and they were all killed, and it sucked, because I really love those people, they were cool, but we'll get some new neighbors. You know, and, and to me, you know, hearing that story of, this is their lives, I mean, this is their everyday life. They're, they're, their, their thing is, how do we you know, establish new relationships with the new neighbors after the last house got burned down and they were murdered, you know, so it's for, for, for what we deal with in our, in, in our, uh, in our lives right now. I mean, I think we need to be a little bit more appreciative and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and value every day that we have. So, and then as far as just to touch on the, the, the how do you find good teammates? It, enthusiasm is the number one thing. If you come to work enthusiastic every day, if you come to, to work, you know, positive every day, we can make a great, uh, you know, restaurant person you know, out of them. It's it's the people that don't that don't appreciate the opportunity and that come in every day because they they're just trying to make a dollar that that really um, don't usually make good employees. Next question. Hi, um, you had said that your partners had originally come to you and you declined their offer to join them. And then they came back again, and you declined again. Um, what made them come back to you? What was it that they wanted from you so badly? And also, what made you decide to take such a very different path from the one that you were on? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I that I so much was outright declining as that I more just kind of didn't really think that it was gonna, ha I wasn't so much saying no as I was more saying like, yeah, yeah, sure, like, okay guys, like, whatever. I can't imagine this actually coming together. And I don't know, they just, I guess they, I don't know, we, the three of us were sort of in three management positions at the place we were working, at, the, at R15, we were all working at R15, and we were all sort of in a management, I was like the bar guy, and Jason was the kitchen guy, and Alex was the, like the GM. And we just worked so well together. And we were such good friends, and we all just kind of, I think, fit a piece of the puzzle. And so they just kept going after me, like, we should really do this, we should really do this. And I think they took, they took a couple steps on their own and then came back to me, and I was like, okay, well, maybe this can actually come together. And so I was like, all right, I'll explore this with you guys. And then it just sort of uh, started going. And, and um, I don't know. I, I, 
their enthusiasm got me really excited about the whole thing. And, and I guess I, I took a different path. You know, I was, I was going to school to be a teacher and I, I guess now looking back, admittedly, I was pretty only half excited about that. And so as things started to come together, it became, you know, I loved working in industry. I loved bartending. I loved doing all that stuff and it was so much fun, but I guess I had never really considered it as just like a career. And so it just kind of, I guess became a reality, and so at the point where it looked like it actually might happen, I just chose that path. That was how it came about. Next question. So uh, thank you very much for volunteering your time. It's been a very interesting discussion. Um, so I had one, or maybe a couple, I'm not sure. Um, so I'm from Davis, and uh, one of the things we see a lot of in Davis is that we get the copy of the restaurant from Sacramento. So we have a, like, basically every restaurant in Sacramento we also have in Davis, um, except um, there are ones we don't see. and and. Um, so what, in terms of a market, determines why restaurateurs come, go to like Roseville versus Davis? And as someone who's lived in Davis for a long time and plans to live there um, for a while, I would love to see more interesting restaurants there. So how can we attract a place like the Shady Later or Broderick's Roadhouse to our town? Garrett. Besides really good tax breaks. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, all, all those things, that, help, that helps, definitely helps. Um, I don't know. I, uh, me personally, and I, I don't know how uh, Chris goes about goes about it necessarily, but with opportunities, it's not for us. It's not always been so much like we seek out to go find a place to do in this city or this city. Like I want to open a restaurant in Davis, or I want to open one in Roseville, or whatever. A lot of times, it's just somebody coming because we're so busy. We're like heads down, like we're doing our thing, and somebody will come and be like, "Hey, I have this opportunity," and. Sometimes it sounds cool enough to go check out, and sometimes it ends up becoming something. Um, and I don't know, I, we haven't sought out too many things, but they've just sort of popped up in, in different weird ways, and sometimes they don't look like a good deal, and sometimes they do, and we pursue them. Um, I know with Davis, uh, the DeVeres guys have the DeVeres and Davis, and I love those guys, and you know we, we hang out all the time, but uh, the one thing that they've always voiced to me is they're like, we cannot keep employees because it's a college town, you know? They're like, I, they're like, we spend so many hours in any given week training people because you hire a hostess or a host and a, they become a busser or a barback and a, a waiter and, and then by the time they get to the waiter, they're gone and then you gotta start over with the next person and move them up and move them up. And that, I think that's kind of, especially specifically Davis is one kind of reason we've not really explored that too much, but Opportunity is an opportunity, really, when it comes down to it. So it really depends on what comes about. I like Davis, so I mean, Come yeah. To Davis. No, no, no. We had to talk earlier about Davis. He does not like Davis. I'll never go to Davis. That's what you said. <laughs> okay, we're gonna work on that. No, no. Um, I've been looking in Davis for a while, so you know, we we very recently almost took a space, um, and somebody had kind of beat us to the punch on the space we were looking for. So, you know, it, it's one, looking for the right location and for your concept. I mean, uh, it's, it's all about the, you know, the demographics, right? Who, who, who lives there, what they're going to support. You know, I think any, any one of Garrett's concepts would be 
really successful in Davis because I think that you have the clientele there. It's just a matter of, I mean, we were talking about it earlier today. I'm like, what's your next project? He's like, I'm trying not to think about any new projects right now. So, I mean, it's, it, it's, it, you have to, and when we go back to when the question about getting into the business, it really is not for, for everybody, especially when, when you're, you know, uh, trying to, to, to kickstart something without, um, without having a lot of extra capital, right? It's, it's a, it, it takes your life over. So at the end of the day, you know, when you take on something else, you have to realize that you're going to be giving up your life again for a while. So, um, so that's, that's a big piece of it. Apparently, Roosevelt and Folsom are really good spots. Not just for you, but for, it seems like that's where a lot of the uh, uh, crowd is or money. Well, I'm learning to be a business person too. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, you have to say, where is there a saturation of folks? And Roseville, you you drive into Roseville, and and if there's a, a line out the door at Red Robin for two hours, you're probably going to do okay. You know, um, and which there is in every restaurant in Roseville. And then, and then you talk to you know the uh, the, be the 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 best at it in this town is um, Taro from Makuni, right? They they've went into a bunch of different suburban areas, and they kill it everywhere. And I've kind of been watching them, and I'm like, if they're going there, then that's the next step because they're they're they've been kind of the pioneers for that. So, next question, and I should mention that what I'm handing out to everybody is ten dollar gift certificates. I think correct from Amaro. So, whoever wants to line up behind this gentleman, now is your chance. So, next question. Yeah. So uh, over the years, I've gotten the impression that as competitive, I, I guess, as the restaurant industry, you know, appears to be in Sacramento, that there's like camaraderie and support between the owners and even some of the like, you know, really established restaurateurs that help. Can you guys talk about uh, how that's been your experience? Like, do you feel when you were starting, did you feel supported by, you know, those who might be seen as your competitors in the marketplace? Um, I wanted to, I want to say this earlier, so this, that's a great question. Uh, that's what makes Sacramento great. Like that, that's what, I mean, when I first moved to Sacramento, I'd lived in all these major cities and I came here and I'm like, I, I hadn't figured this place out yet. And when, and I didn't realize that the whole time I was in the real estate and mortgage business. I mean, I, I part of that time I lived in the suburbs and, you know, I, I would pull my car into my garage and nobody talked to the neighbors and it was kind of weird, but, um, the way this community comes together is it's incredible. The way that your competitors are your best friends in this, in this community is, is like nowhere else that I've ever lived. Um, when, when I started to make all the mistakes that I made, uh, I had so many guys call me up and say, are you sure you want to do that? Or how can I help? I mean, I had, I had one guy, you know, I mean, it, it, Garrett's partner Jason came out all, would come out all the time and 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 hang out at the bar. Garrett did, did come through. Um, I remember Jay Verge from 1022 called me and he said, uh, you know, do you need any help? And I'm like, no, I'm good. And he goes, no, Chris, I'm serious. Do you need any help? And I'm like, no, I'm good. And then 15 minutes later, his son shows up at the door and he said, my dad sent me down to to help you out. And 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 and, and literally, I mean, that's the kind of that's the kind of community we have. I mean, we we have a network of other other guys that we are on a, a text chain with and we're constantly saying who can help us with this who can do that I mean it, it really is not it, it it's it's crazy because we're all we're all in this thing together right now there's 30 something new restaurant perm permits that were pulled in recently in the 
just in the Sacramento City area, right? And we're all going, oh shit, how are we gonna get through this, right? But at the same time, we're saying, hey, you know, how are you guys doing? Or how, how can we do? It's it's really strange that we're all as we're we're struggling. We're all struggling together. We're all trying to figure out how we can get there together. So it, it's it's interesting how we've all supported each other. Yeah, um, absolutely the same. Um, you know, a lot of us came up through this industry together, working for Perigary or whoever whoever it was, selling or whoever. And uh, we all worked together. We all bartended together. We all waited tables together. We, and then when the time came and we all, you know, so many of us decided to open our own places, we were friends. We were already friends, you know. Uh, and then you became friends with the guys that uh, you didn't know. And, uh, I, you know, it's hard to think of almost anybody that owns or you know, works at a restaurant in the city that I couldn't call for help or if I needed to borrow something or if they needed something, they could call me. Um, it's, I don't know, I guess I, I've not really known much different because I've only really been in the restaurant industry in this city, um, but it's incredible. I mean, there's, there's almost nobody you can't reach out to for help if you need something and, and that won't even you know, reach out to you even if they think you need something. Um, so it's it's really been an, an amazing thing and and uh, as the city grows and especially with K Street coming in and all that stuff like I think it's gonna be all great but you know I really hope that as a community of restaurant people we can really hold on to that uh, you know that thing I'm gonna ask a follow-up question and I hope this is not uh, tie into the next question for the audience but I was curious about now you had mentioned uh, competition coming up and also this was a big thing uh, in the prior Food for Thought that Andrea and Gina and Ian from South both said labor was a big issue. But I was wondering, you know, if you, if you opened up a restaurant now, uh, you know, you have a track record, you know what's going on. Is it going to be easier or harder based on, you know, competition, rising real estate prices, um, you know, red tape that we're famous for in terms of, you know, getting the permits and things open, changing taste? Uh, for the next venture, is it like okay? I know what I'm. I know what I'm. I need to do, and I'm excited. Or, uh, you know, I'll do it, even though I know I have all these issues. What's? How do you feel? I guess in terms of if you would open up something else, based on all those, those things that you have to take into account for. Garrett. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, if I'm being totally honest, it's harder every day especially in, in the center city you know and you know um, Chris is kind of branching out to different areas but we've sort of stayed downtown for the most part other than shooting off with a couple other random little projects but um, yeah it's it's definitely not getting any easier the competitions coming in costs are rising every yeah everything I mean I don't know that's kind of why you know he mentioned that I, you know I'm not really looking to do anything else right now I mean if, if the opportunity presents itself it, it does if there's a good enough deal, but I think there's a lot of the restaurant people in this city who have been doing a lot in the past five or six years that are all sort of uh, sitting on their hands for a little bit and see how like the K Street area kind of shakes out and see if the big chains are gonna come in and see what survives and what doesn't. And, and uh, I think there's a lot of people just kind of standing back and waiting to see how the next couple of years play out before they make any big decision. I mean, I know that's what I'm kind of doing. So I think a lot of us are just kind of holding on and waiting to see what happens. Chris? So I'm going to give you a little restaurant math. Um, there's so many challenges right now with legislation. There's so many challenges with, with um, you know, taxes and, you know, California and living in a lot of other places. And, you know, um, I've been, um, I'm on my third term now as the president of the, 
the Northern California chapter of the California Restaurant Association. So I've been really involved in politics um, for a while and have lobbied a lot for on behalf of the industry in DC. And um, one, you know, we have so many challenges on a regular basis, and 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 it's important that that we, I guess, communicate to to our consumer that you know, for instance, minimum wage. When when minimum wage became an argument, a lot of the restaurateurs were down down at city council trying to figure out a way to. Everybody wants to give in our industry, I think, or at least in in the folks that we work with, really want to make sure their folks make fair wages because you know, obviously. They're, they're the foundation of our business, our, our teams. But um, on, a re on a restaurant, uh, and the restaurant math is this. So minimum wage was like, what, seven bucks or something when this, that whole seven something was just when that started, that whole argument started. And minimum wage was going to go to 15. Um, most of our employees are tipped employees. The, the majority of them are on the front of the house. So they're, they're tipped employees and they're, they were making minimum wage. Um, some of the lower level kitchen guys, most of them make more as they go up. But so if 30% of your staff, 30% of your staff is a minimum wage employee. Now most restaurants, seven to 10% margin, you know, which that's good. A good restaurant's making seven to 10% to their bottom line. If your minimum wage goes up, if it doubles and goes from seven to 15 and 30% of your payroll is now double, that's 60%, right? If you've just raised your cost by 30% and your margin was only seven to 10%, the math doesn't really work very well in there. I mean, I'm not a mathematician, but it, didn't, it wasn't working for me. So we were trying to figure out how we, how we fix that. You know, you know how do we, because behind that, there were 20 other different pieces of legislation and there was the cost of, the rising cost of, of um, permitting and, and, and construction costs. I mean, we went into, when we went into Roseville, uh, they're like, oh, well, you know, what are your, what's your improvement value? And we're like, oh, it's this much. And they're like, okay, well, we want you to take 20% of that improvement value and we want you to the now spend 20% outside on, you know, the aesthetics and like, which, you know, if it costs you half a million dollars to build a restaurant, then they want you to take a hundred thousand and, and, uh, plant some new grass out front or to do something. So the, the cost of, of doing business is so high now that it, it's, it is starting to constrict our business a lot. So we, we meet. Uh, in, all the time, and we have a couple different, uh, you know, I guess you call them restaurant lobbying groups, where we meet constantly and talk about how we can continue to 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 make it, you know, possible to do business in Sacramento, to do business in California, because it it is getting harder and harder. Audience question. I think I guess this is going to be the last one. We should wrap it up. I've got a couple more after you. Mine's a little less serious. Um, it is I. I think that Shady Lady was one of the first known craft cocktail places here in town. And when you guys first came out, it was right after, I think, one of either Alex or your other partner was working over at Centro and they were infusing a lot of the tequilas. How do you guys, both of you, how do you guys come up with how you're going to look at your menus for your cocktails. We have a lot of people who are, you know, doing riffs on the traditional classic cocktails, but I know that you're bringing Amaro's in, and there's been a lot of different restaurants that have been doing a lot of Amaro-type drinks. How do you go through the process of testing them and seeing what works best? Well, when we, when we first opened Shady, um, we, the three of us, you know, we were, the whole craft cocktail thing had 
just kind of started uh, and we were all so excited about it and we were constantly just experimenting and doing all kinds of stuff and and um, as, as time went on, uh, thankfully, but the, a lot of the bartenders who were just so enthusiastic, they started to kind of take over the programs and they started to come up with all kinds, you know, you know, me and Alex sitting around can't come up with nearly as many cool things as 20 bartenders who are all working together and, and going off each other. And, and so thankfully, uh, they took over a lot of that process and, and you know, obviously they, they go through us before we finalize the menus, but I don't, I don't know. I was actually really thankful to see that happen and it, it was really great. Like, I think when a bartender can take ownership of a drink and see their name on a menu and, and know, or that's something that, you know, they, I'll never forget the first time we started putting people's names on, like this cocktail was made by whoever and, and one of the bartenders ran up and she was so excited. She's like, thank you so much for picking my cocktail and putting it on the menu and that's so awesome of you guys. And I was so surprised. I was like, oh, okay. like. I'm glad that I was, I was so surprised how excited she was about that and I never really thought about it and it was really cool to see that happen and so that became a huge motivator for us. Um, but we're always, I don't know, we're always trying to do something a little different but I, I think the craft cocktail world in the, past, world in the past few years went so far and so much got done in so many places that I think we kind of dialed it back a little bit with a lot of what we're trying to do and just try to make, try to simplify and make things more you know, make them good, but not too complicated. It's changed a lot, but um, I don't know. I, I think a lot of that went to, uh, you know, our bartenders, and I think they've done an amazing, amazing job with it all, and it's really cool to see how excited they all are to do it all. I gotta give those guys credit, too, because they really took it to a different level. I mean, a Shady Lady is a, is a, it was, a, you know, way ahead of its time, and definitely in this region, and they've, they've done an amazing job with, all the way down to making, and if you haven't, hopefully everybody's been there, but if you haven't been there, you know, making all your own, you know, syrups for colas and, and everything, it, you know, that's that's a ton of work. So it was, it's a pretty pretty special place. Um, and I got to give Garrett and his, and his team props for what they did there. But, you know, you have to also remember that bartenders, Chefs, they're, they're artists, so that you know they that that's really what they are. They 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 spend their days creatively trying to find new ways to to make people happy. So, um, like he said, I mean the, the those bar staffs, bar staffs, those guys in the kitchen, they're they're uh, the greatest teachers that we have. They teach us stuff every day, and and they um, they keep us on our toes because you know we learn we learn all kinds of stuff from them. So. You know, we, it's really it's really that them that that that, that makes us good. So, I, I will say, yeah, if you if you are always trying to dictate to your chefs and your bartenders what they have to be doing, they'll get real tired of that real fast. And <laughs> yeah, giving giving everybody front of the house, back of the house freedom to kind of express themselves and um, is is a really good motivator for people to do a good job and really take ownership of what's happening in your restaurant. Yeah, your mom, Garrett, your mom mentioned that uh, a lot of the bartenders um, who got their start at Shady Lady had moved on to San Francisco, San Diego, so they're kind of like spreading the, the word, your brand ambassador. So, so two quick questions before we wrap it up. Um, I, I don't want to embarrass you, but I thought it was, when I was talking to your mom, Sandy, you know, she did mention that in terms of ideas, you're kind of taking a break right now, but um, you enjoy politics, like in terms of sailing, you know, working with West Sacramento and getting things done. Um, I think for both of you, being a restaurateur involves 
well, dealing with um, government officials, getting permits, but also knowing how to work with people. You have to do customer service in terms of things. So, Chris, it sounds like you do that now with the Restaurant Association. Garrett, maybe. So I'm wondering in terms of you know, future plans, if they go outside of restaurants, would politics be something that you would be interested in doing or currently enjoy doing because maybe they're both similar uh, things? Putting you on the spot here. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, getting involved in some of the political stuff in Sacramento was nothing I ever had intended. Uh, getting into the restaurant industry, like I didn't want to. That's not what I. I don't know. It, it was never part of the equation when you got into it. But it becomes as you grow in the city, and and uh, you know you have to deal with the different laws that are coming through, and people want to know, and uh, you know you end up at city council meetings and whatever. It just becomes kind of. Uh, inevitable to be a part of what's going on um and i don't know you know you go back and forth sometimes you know it's all very interesting but sometimes i enjoy the involvement sometimes i love being a part of the process and sometimes i want nothing to do with it and it can be unbelievably frustrating when you know things just go so bad especially you know dealing with all kinds of legislation and and everything so i, I don't know i have mixed feelings about it uh, a lot and i imagine you probably do too I kind of got in in a weird way. I was on the food truck, and at that time there was a food truck. Uh, food trucks and the tours were kind of battling over, you know, the, they didn't want food trucks in downtown. So um, somebody from Senator Pan's office uh, saw a random interview, and they said, oh, that guy seems reasonable. Let's go talk to him. So they, they, drug, me up to the they drug me up to the Capitol, and, the, and at the time I think he was in the assembly. Um, and he was, uh, so, so they essentially said, you know, we need to try to break down these barriers between restaurants and food truck, uh, food truck owners. So uh, the lobbyist for the Restaurant Association and, and a chief of staff for Dr. Pan, they said, let's go grab lunch. We just met with a bunch of assemblymen. And um, we're walking down Capitol Mall, and, they, and one of them said, you know, we should just go talk to Randy Perrigary right now. And the other one said, what are you, crazy? Like, Randy's like the, you know, at the time, he was running around with a shotgun trying to take out food trucks. So, um, <laughs> you know, I have the bullet holes to, to prove it. But uh, um, somehow we ended up in Cafe Bernardo and it, right after it opened on K Street. And, you know, I walked in and, uh, with these guys and, and I hadn't met Randy. Uh, and he was in there busting tables. Uh, and, and the first thing that, that I can say is that, that that's, you know, that's a true restaurateur to be at the level he was at. And, you know, he couldn't stop for a second to talk to us because he was too busy making sure that the tables were clean, um, which he obviously at this, this point in his career doesn't need to do that, but he does because he cares. Um, so he sat down at the table and uh, with us after a few minutes and didn't know who I was and they told him, oh, Chris is a food truck guy. And then there I was thinking, where's the shotgun gonna be now? And, uh, but you know, we had a conversation and, and I basically explained to Randy that I just wanted to be him. I was just trying to figure out how to get there. And uh, you know, there was no disrespect in that. It was just, that was my, my it was an easier barrier of entry, right? So, uh, so somehow between that conversation of being public enemy number one, about seven, eight months later, I was the president of the Restaurant Association. So I, don't, I think maybe it was, you know, nobody else wanted to do it. But, um, but it, I enjoy it. I, I'm definitely not, I definitely don't have any, 
any uh, desire to be in politics per se because it's um, it's really it's really interesting what, it, what we would have learned how much how, how how corrupt the whole the process is and and everything else and I don't mean that to be to be negative but watching how bills are are make it through and committees and then they they get them through one way and then they they change it when it gets through so they you know they it's just it's amazing how it works but. Um, but if we don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. So at the end of the day, I think that's why we do because, you know, uh, somebody has to, to to stand up for for our industry. So, uh, and you know, Garrett Garrett is a uh, has been you know incredibly uh, incredibly good uh, good lobbyist for our industry. Well, so last question, then we'll do a raffle. Um, maybe this isn't a question, but kind of a request. But so this morning. Uh, the three of us were on Good Day Sacramento promoting this event, um, and we were in front of Chops. I picked Chops because one morning I was just walking by and there was the Capitol, and I, and Chops is closed. I think recent last month actually, and uh, I remember going there a couple of times. I know my mom, who was a uh, worked for the state, went there a lot and had a lot of martinis, and so it was kind of an establishment. But it's closed. Uh, and then also, I just read recently that Joe's Crab Shack, which has an establishment in Old Sack, is, uh, their parent company is filing for bankruptcy. So what this ties into is Sacramento is so uh, dead set on farm to fork capital and promoting us as a place for so many things, including food and, and drink. And, and there's Chops, which is right by the Capitol. And hopefully Joe's Crab Shack, I'm sorry, I'm not a big fan, is right there in Old Sack where you know, they really want to revitalize. So I'm just curious, has there been any talk or maybe even thought about the empire builders here taking over chops maybe, or maybe, you know, someplace in old sack and turning that into a food destination? Is that something that has crossed your mind? You come to discuss or you want to officially announce something here at Groundbreakers? (laughs) (laughs) Not officially announcing anything. Um, No, I've toured through tons of the buildings in Old Sac and and people trying to get us to do a project down there and uh, just nothing has quite seemed, I don't know. I I don't know that Old Sac's ever going to quit. Really? I just don't know. I'm not willing to take that risk right now. Um, And I know some people are looking at chops, not us. But uh, I know there's definitely been some talk, and uh, I think you seem to be very excited about Chops reopening. Uh, but um, I think that'll happen. I think that'll happen before long. I know a few people are exploring that idea, but I don't know. Old Sac has just been this mystery that's just hung over Sacramento for so long, and I hope that it eventually gets there, but I think it's still a ways off. Not for you. Chris, any final word? Well, I did look at Chops, um, not recently, but about, about a year ago. And chops should just be chops. I mean, I think if, if anything, they just didn't evolve, you know, with as other restaurants did. I mean, Sacramento really needs a local steak and, and chop house. I mean, it, it, uh, I'm not in a position to do it myself right now, but but I think that's what it needs to be. And uh, and as far as Old Sac, you know, we looked at Old Sac a lot and. Uh, we we almost pulled the trigger and but we just figured we'd be cannibalizing um, our West Sac store and and Joe's Crab Shack was the highest volume and I think still is the highest volume restaurant in the whole Sacramento region so it, it's kind of it's kind of weird to see I mean the company itself is filing bankruptcy as a whole they haven't done well and but that specific location I mean is the highest volume restaurant in the whole city so it's interesting to see it close or possibly close. 
All right, on that note, uh, I want to say thank you both, you guys, for the really great conversation. Appreciate it. I think we learned a lot. And um, uh, we'll just wrap it up and do a raffle right now after we all applaud and end the podcast. <laughs> thank you. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers. Tonight's conversation, Food for Thought, was held on August 1st, 2017 at the Clara Center for the Performing Arts. Thanks to Chris Jarosh and Garrett Van Vleck for their participation, for providing food and cocktails and for the dozens of free gift certificates. Thanks also to Clara for hosting the event and to J.E. Pano and Roostaller Beer for their continued support and the free beer. Thanks to California Groundbreaker Advisory Board members Scott Eggert and Rachel Smith for helping to put this event together. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Find out when our next event is by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.